At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 257th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how to save your own. On today's podcast, we have someone who is helping others find ways to use water wisely. We're talking to Laura Allen all about gray water. Laura has spent the last 15 years exploring low-tech, urban, sustainable water solutions. While earning a BA in environmental science, a teaching credential, and a master's degree in education. Plus, she participated in the California and Washington State Gray Water Code Development Committees. She puts this into use by presenting at conferences, leading classes and workshops on rainwater harvesting, gray water reuse, and composting toilets. Laura is the author of Gray Water, Green Landscape, and The Waterwise Home, How to Capture, Conserve, and Reuse Water in Your Home and Landscape, both published by Story Publishing. She is also the co-founder of graywateraction.org, an education-based organization that teaches people how to design and install gray water systems and was the 2014 recipient of the Silicon Valley Water Conservation Award. Welcome to the show today, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I love talking about gray water. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. So I've been involved in gray water for a long time, and it actually, the it first started when I was a renter living in Oakland, California, and my housemates and I got a water bill for the first time <laughs> when gr- Growing up, we didn't have water bills as a child. You know, moving to the Bay Area to go to college, I never had a water bill All in right. other homes I lived in. So we got this bill sent to our house, and we looked at it, and we were, you know, thinking we have to pay this. And then it led to a lot of questions, like why? How? Why are we using so much water? Mm. Where is this water coming from? Uh-huh. Um, just a lot of things that we hadn't thought about before. Water had become invisible to me without me being aware of it. And my housemates and I, our reaction was, well, since we are using this water, we might as well use it two times. And through our group, oh, right. our group knowledge, which wasn't, you know, it was a lot of theoretical knowledge and a little bit of practical knowledge, we decided to send that water outside to our new garden. Nice. And it wasn't a very good gray water system, but it was something. And it really inspired further learning and further action. Mm-hmm. And 
wanting to do it better. Cool. So what is gray water? Gray water is water that you used once inside your home coming from sinks and showers and washing machines. So it's water that's a little bit dirty, like it has soap in it, dirt, et cetera, but it doesn't have any fecal matter, so it's not from the toilet. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit dirty, but still a great source of irrigation water for your plants if you're using the right kind of soaps. Right. So what is the right kind of soap? That's a question I get all the time. Yeah, we call them plant-friendly products, and they're basically products that don't contain high levels of salt, which is you know, non-toxic to us, but it's not good for the soil and the plants don't contain boron, and don't contain chlorine bleach. Oh, and where do we find that stuff at? You can find them in most most anywhere. You just have to know what soaps to look for. Trader Joe's even has a detergent that's totally fine for gray water systems. Wow. They're not like, you don't have to go to specialty places in general, but you do have to know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's do a shout out for a couple of the brands. What's the Trader Joe's brand? The Liquid Detergent. Um, Ecos is another company that has mm. a water-friendly liquid detergent, Biopack, Oasis, Vasca, Pure Turgent. There's, there's a whole bunch nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, Biopack, they call their Oasis a biocompatible soap. And it's always, yeah. it's always been my understanding that it breaks down to fertilizer. It does into a low, like kind of a, a low concentration of fertilizer. So that's really the best one, either Oasis or Biopack, because mm-hmm. they do break down into plant nutrients and it, they were designed particularly for gray water. The only challenge is you, many places you can't buy them locally. So some people right. just really can't get them. So that's why it's nice that there's other options that maybe aren't like the best, but they're still great and yeah. fine to use. So do us a favor and review once again, what are we looking for in a gray water soap? You don't want a lot of salt, so it's going to be a liquid, not a powder. Okay. And you don't want boron, for uh, example, like Mule Team 2020, like oh, right. borax. Exactly. That kind of boron is toxic to plants mm-hmm. in very low doses, so you don't want to be adding any additional boron into your right. system. Perfect. So it seems to me that it could be a little bit challenging to get this wonderful double-use resource from the drains of our house out into our landscape. What where do we even start with that? Yeah, and if your house is already built, you have to work with what you have, and sometimes it is quite challenging, especially like showers in slab foundations. You know, that that is a big problem to get that water out easily. But luckily, most people have a washing machine, and it's usually quite Mm. easy to get washing machine gray water. So sometimes if you learn about gray water and then you go home and look at your house, you might find like, oh, great, I can reuse any source, all of my sinks, all my showers, all my washing machine. And other people find out actually they only have, they have limited options. And the washing machine is usually what most people can access. Right. So they call these laundry to landscape systems. Tell us about them. Yeah, and so that's one kind of system. It was first invented by a man named Art Ludwig, who has a gray water book. And he has a company called Oasis Design. He, just a side note, invented that soap, the Oasis soap. Oh, yes. So he's been doing gray water uh, stuff for a long time. So this particular system takes the gray water from the discharge hose of the washing machine itself. So you don't actually change anything about your plumbing. Your plumbing is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You just grab your washing machine hose, you connect it to a a valve that allows you to send the gray water either back to the sewer or septic where it was going before. 
And the other side of the valve can allow you to direct it to this new irrigation system that you construct. Mm -hmm. And so the machine actually pumps out the water to your landscape and it doesn't go down the drain like it had been. So it's really, you can have it send the water across a flat yard. If your yard's going downhill, that's great too. It's not made to like go up a hill. So if you have a basement washing right. machine, it probably won't work for you. But for many people, their washer's on ground level and they can send that water out to their landscape. So I've always seen laundry to landscape systems that gravity feed. Are you suggesting that we might be pumping the water? Yeah, it's like a low pressure. It's directly connected to the washing machine, which has a pump uh, in it. It's oh, always right. pumping out your water. Got it. And there's limitations because it's not made to like pump the water up a hill, right. but it does push it out. So you get to, you get a lot more flexibility in where you want the water to go than if you were just doing a gravity only system. Got it. And so this gray water coming out of our laundry system, what's it good for? Gray water is great for any plant that likes to be irrigated. With the simple systems like the laundry to landscape and the gravity flow systems, the way you distribute the water, it's easy to send it to a several plants. And so to maximize your irrigation, you want to pick plants that need more water, like trees or bushes or kind of the bigger type plants. Mm -hmm. And so it's really great and usually quite simple to irrigate your larger landscape plants. I love to water fruit trees because they're oh, a tree. Yes. They do well with gray water and you get fruit. So that's a kind of ideal candidate. Mm -hmm. But you really can water any plant that likes to be irrigated. The exception being root vegetables. You don't want to have gray water be touching the part of the food you're going to eat. Got it. So there's stuff in the water, though. Isn't that a problem in your garden? What kind of stuff are you talking about? <laughs> stuff like, <laughs> you know, there might be some dirt and dirty and I'm sure I could come up with some other things that you know we might imagine might be in a washer uh-huh yep there is dirt and it is dirty and our plants grow in dirt so uh, that's, that's a good match yeah there there can be problems with the lint and other debris clogging the soil pores so then mm. the water doesn't sink down mm -hmm. And a really simple fix for that is we create what's called a mulch basin. It's basically uh, you just remove some soil and have like a trough, mm -hmm. like a little basin. And then you fill it with wood chips, mulch. And those wood chips, when the gray water soaks through the wood chips, the debris is captured on the wood chips. And so any lint or grease or particles stick on those wood chips and the water soaks uh, freely down into the soil. Right. So you can think of it a little bit like a filter, but it's a filter that you don't have to maintain or clean, or if it clogs up, nothing bad happens to your system. It's like a kind of a natural yeah. filter of it, the water. It sounds like it kind of manages itself. Yeah, it does. Imagine, imagine letting nature take over, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at your book. First of all, this is a beautiful book. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Is it a fairly new book? Let's see. It came out. Oh, yes. It just came out. It is yes. called Graywater Green Landscape. Tell me about the book. So Graywater Green Landscape is a book designed to help people understand their graywater options. And if they're a handy type person, it takes you step by step how to build a couple of the simplest systems that are also kind of the most applicable to most people. Mm-hmm. It also covers more complex systems and manufactured systems and other systems that someone may want in, in certain applications. 
it's good for homeowners who might or rent anyone who who might be doing it themselves as well as someone that might hire someone because it really lays out all of your options. All right. You mentioned a moment ago simple systems. So we talked about the laundry, the landscape. What's another simple system? Uh, a branch drain. It's another Art Ludwig invention. It's a gravity-fed system. Uh-huh. And we use special fitting that just when the water flows into it, it divides the flow up into equal parts, so two mm. equal parts. So you can put, we call them flow splitters. You can put these flow splitters in your system so as the water is flowing by gravity through pipes, it gets divided up into appropriate quantities for your landscapes. So you right. do a little bit of design work ahead of time, and then once you put it in the system, it's just all gravity just passively flowing out into your landscape. So that's very um, simple. It does take a lot of work to build it, but once you build it, then there's really no moving parts, nothing to break. It's a very long-lasting and well-functioning system. Yeah, nice. So I, I, I've noticed in some photographs from our buddy Brad Lancaster, who was on the podcast previously talking about rainwater and gray water, uh, one of the things that he does behind his washing machine is he puts in multiple pipes that goes to different parts of his yard. Can you talk about what that is? Yeah, that's like a multiple standpipe system. And that each of those standpipes is going to be a gravity flow system. Mm -hmm. So like the the one I just described. And he's in uh, Tucson, Arizona. So it's very warm. Each tree is going to want a lot of water in the summertime. And so that's a great way to give each plant like a whole load of laundry or maybe divide it up to two plants. Right. So that's a great strategy in really warm places. The laundry to landscape system I described before makes it easier to divide up the water to more plants. Ah. And so if you don't want to be sending a whole load of laundry just to one tree or maybe two trees, it's easier to spread it out with that other type of system, Got just it. logistically. Yeah. So I get this question a lot, people asking me about storing rainwater and gray water. And I'm not a great big fan of storing rainwater and gray water because of the cost of the tanks involved. Is there another reason why we wouldn't want to store especially gray water? Yeah. And so rainwater and gray water, reusing them in your landscape, they're both strategies to take what we, some people consider a waste and turn it into a resource. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're both strategies for reusing water and protecting the environment and overall improving the, the landscape. But the way you use them is quite different with Many people want to store rainwater because it's really clean. You can keep it for later. Stored rainwater can be sent easily through a drip irrigation system. It's similar to quality to the tap water, though it's considered non-potable. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of, you'll see lots of pictures of rain tanks and, you know, big ones, little ones, whatever. But you do think of rainwater, you can think of a tank and it's okay to put it in the tank. Though, as you mentioned, there's other ways to use it in the landscape that have benefits. Right. Gray water, on the other hand, you don't ever want to store it because it contains a lot of organic matter. It has little bits of food, dirt, lint, you know, things that if they're sitting in water start to decompose and that takes oxygen. So the water sitting around becomes anaerobic and very, very smelly. <laughs> and so if you ever do store gray water and then you go back and look at it, you will uh, not be very pleased with the quality of water. Yeah, or so smell it. Yeah, or smell it. Exactly. <laughs> so gray water, you want to use it right away or at least within a day. Yeah. Many states have 24 hours as the legal maximum time to store it. Mm -hmm. Basically, a day or so is how long you would want to store it. Perfect. So are these systems complicated and or expensive? 
there's a whole range of options. There's some very simple, very affordable gray water systems. And then there's some very sophisticated and much more expensive gray water systems that you could even monitor on your smartphone. I mean, there's oh, wow. a whole range of options. Yeah. And so that's why some people think gray water is either really simple and can't do sophisticated things, or they think it's really expensive and, and unaffordable because mm-hmm. both of those are true. There are simple and sophisticated and expensive options. Got it. So there, and from my senses, there they can be fairly simple to install. Yeah, they sure can be, especially the washing machine system, the yeah. laundry, the landscape, because you don't even have to change your plumbing. Like yeah, your house yeah. is exactly the same when you're finished. Perfect. So when I when I installed my first gray water systems here at the urban farm in 2004, I was looking at my house built in 1948, and realized that I had two choices. I could either replumb the existing plumbing so it takes the water from inside the house out, which I actually did with one of my bathroom sinks, or I could actually move the facilities outside. So one of the things that I did here is I installed an outdoor kitchen and an outdoor shower that actually takes the water out to the landscape. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great idea. And sometimes you can put your washing machine outside or even make mm. a little shed for it. Some people find like, oh, I can't get my washing machine water, but look, I have this back porch I could put it out on. So depending on your climate, that could be really the easiest and simplest and best option for you. Got it. Just to actually move the facilities outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it works great here in Arizona, man. Having an outdoor shower in the summertime is wonderful. So are these systems legal? Yeah, gray water legality really depends on what state you are located in. Mm-hmm. The, in the West, a lot of states have upgraded their codes to make it legal. So Arizona has a really gray water friendly code. New Mexico, California has had great improvements. Oregon and Washington do have codes, but they have some room for improvement to make it kind of more accessible to more people. Uh-huh. And then you'll find states where it's not allowed at all. So we still have a lot of work to do across the nation to improve our codes, but the the trajectory is is in a good direction. It's Got usually it. becoming easier and easier. Got it. And I'm, I'm going to say not allowed on the state level, but if you wanted to do maybe a laundry to landscape, you might be able to um, get away with it. Um, well, people get away with a lot of unpermitted <laughs> work in their homes of all ranges yeah. from a remodel to a whatever, you know. So, yes, there's so much gray water use without asking permission. Yeah. And there's, you know, I'm, I'm a big, big believer in getting permits for that stuff because it's uh, especially on the bigger stuff. But, you know, if you're going to move your washer outside, you know, be appropriate about the soap you're putting in so that you're not polluting your landscape and, you know, yeah. have fun with it. And we started out, our organization was called Graywater Gorillas with the, the UE spelling because in California it was not legal for people to do mm. a simple affordable system. Right. So we were doing these and we didn't have permission and we weren't able to get permits and we were doing it purposely saying like, the problem uh, is not reusing water, the problem are the codes. And right. so we were actively involved in changing that situation. And so some people may find they can't really get a permit whether they wanted one or not. And yeah. other people have the option depending on where they live. Yeah. So our regulations got put in place in I think 2002 or 2003 here in Arizona. And Brad Lancaster was really involved with that. And so when I went looking for a gray water permit for my back patio in Phoenix, Arizona in 2004, 
that was a challenge because nobody knew what to do with me. So I actually had to do some education because it was legal. And if you are in the state of Arizona, they cannot tell you you can't do them. It is perfectly legal here. So you just have to sometimes educate the building departments, which is what I had to do. Have you found that you've been doing some of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, building officials and inspectors, they have just such a large quantity of information they're supposed to be responsible for. And uh -huh. it's every three years, the codes are updated. So they may not even have known that your, the code has changed for the state. And in Arizona, the building department doesn't regulate the gray water use. They're the Department of Environmental Quality is right. regulating the gray water use outside. But in California, the building department's actually regulating all of the gray water use. Ah. So there's some confusion about who is in charge of gray water in many states. And you definitely may be educating your building department or finding out who is in charge of gray water in your state if you depending on where you live. Yeah. So for all those that are listening out there, just be patient and take a deep breath and keep moving the football forward on this one because this is a really, really important thing to be doing. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. Yeah. So tell us about graywateraction.org, please. So graywateraction.org is our website for Graywater Action. We are an education-based group. We teach people how to reuse gray water as well as rainwater and composting toilets, but we do focus more on gray water. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of resources. We have webinars that you can watch. We have videos. We have articles. We just have a whole bunch of resources. And we also list our workshops. So if you want to come to a workshop, we have from just an hour presentation about gray water all the way to a five-day training for professionals oh, nice. that, that then get listed on our website because we mm -hmm. want to help people find trained professionals also. So we list people from across the country that most of them are on the West Coast yeah. uh, who've taken our training. Excellent. So I'm on the uh, main page of it. Mm -hmm. it. It looks like a really comprehensive site. You have gray water reuse, rainwater harvesting, and composting toilets. Tell us about composting toilets a little bit. Well, I gotcha. All right. So people are pretty familiar with compost. You put the material outside, you add some straw or dry matter, and then you just let nature do its work and it turns organic matter into humus or compost. Mm -hmm. And a composting toilet is the exact same thing, except we're putting human feces and sawdust or whatever you're adding to it, and then we're letting nature do its work and turn that into humus or compost. The only difference is we need to be careful that we're not allowing any contact with the material while it's composting. Mm. So a composting toilet is going to have some kind of enclosure. Maybe the composting process happens below the toilet, like in a big chamber, or maybe you remove like a smaller container, like a bucket, to an outside compost area. Mm -hmm. But basically, you're just letting nature do its work, and you have... Um, an odorless toilet where you can use the bathroom just like you always do. You just don't flush it away with water. You add sawdust to it. Hmm. And they don't smell? They A, a well-functioning toilet should not smell. No. Okay. If you stick your nose in it, yes, you'll get an odor, just <laughs> right. like if you stick your nose in the toilet. But if you're going into a bathroom with a composting toilet, there should be no odor if it's working well. Yeah. Yeah, so don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. So I want a gray water system. How do I get one installed? Well, if you're a handy person, you can get my book. You can go on our website. You can get some resources, and then you can install it yourself. If you want to hire someone, you want to find someone trained, probably a land, someone who's more in the landscape world, like a landscape contractor. Mm. 
we definitely want all plumbers knowledgeable and trained in gray water, but plumbers usually don't have information about irrigation and plants. And right. so they're most likely not the best person to install your gray water system, though you may want a plumber to put in your diversion if you're changing your plumbing, because mm -hmm. that it can be um, a little bit of a hard job if you have old pipes Got in it. particular. Got it. So get a trained professional or train yourself, huh? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Sure. So I have been experimenting and trying out many gray water systems in my homes for many years. So I've had a lot of failures, which are always great opportunities to learn how to do it better. And one in particular is a kitchen sink system. So kitchen sink water is... In some states, it's considered gray water. In other states, it's not. Mm. And regardless of its classification, it does have much more organic material grease. You know, it's much harder to manage because yes. of the clogging problem. And so I was using this cool thing called a wood chip biofilter, which basically is like a container full of wood chips. And so you're, I was flowing the kitchen water through the wood chips to catch all the gunk and debris before it went to irrigate the plants. Uh-huh. And the filter kept clogging, and when it clogged, the water would back up and like pour out the top and Ooh. just cause all sorts of undesirable things to happen. And it, it happened many, many times. And one day I was coming home from work, and I see my wood chip biofilter had clogged again, and gray water was literally like pouring on the side of my house, which Oops. is not, not what you want. Right. And so that was the last straw. So I, I got rid of it all, like no, all, so got rid of it and redirected the kitchen water and diverted the spread the flow out through the flow splitters and just put the wood chips in the landscape mm. in these mulch basins. Uh, and that really solved my problem because I still had all the grease and the gunk and the debris, but right. they were it was now divided up. So only a fraction of it was going to each basin next to the plants I was watering, different mm -hmm. fruit trees. And when the wood chips did clog up, the only thing that happened was the water moved over to some new wood chips and right. it didn't really cause me any problems at all. Uh. Very good. Again, letting nature handle things. Yeah, simple, simpler is, is better. I'll tell you what, have you ever studied permaculture? Yes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a longtime permaculture devotee and been studying it since the early 90s. And every time I run into, all right, maybe not every time, but most every time I run into issues with the system, it's because I tried to take it outside of nature. Have you found that? Yes. And trying to be more complicated or yeah. do something that wasn't yet necessary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think I'm going to share two successes. One was the code change in California. That was a big success. And there was a lot of community involvement in mm -hmm. that process. And they were people that really wanted this to be legal because they felt like it should be. Right. It should be legal to reuse your water. So there was a lot of involvement from people who had never been involved in code changes in the past. Mm -hmm. And that opened the door to allow water districts and cities and all these people that have to comply with all, all regulations to not only support gray water, but to actively promote it with incentives and classes and uh, just really change things in California. Well, and that's, I just want to jump in here. That that's for California. California is like the sixth biggest economy in the world or something crazy like that, right? Yeah. And yeah. You, you actually drove a piece of, well, I guess it's not legislation. What is it? 
So in California, gray water is housed in the plumbing code. And so there's a triennial code adoption cycle that happens. Ah. It gets, I don't want to go into too much detail for those that aren't in California, but basically it's a, it's a, every three years, these changes happen. Mm -hmm. There was legislation in California that required the gray water section of the code to be revised kind of out of the typical code cycle. Right. And convene stakeholders. So legislation did drive the, the timing of it mm -hmm. and convening stakeholders. But then it got into just the, the typical way that building codes are written in the state. Right. Wow. Cool. Well, congratulations on number one. What's number two? So the number two success is having hands-on workshops. So we do workshops. We hold them in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And we actually build a gray water system. And it's a really empowering type of workshop because people get to come and see a real home and see how this is applied and they get to participate in constructing a system. It also creates these working examples. So then after the workshop's over, there's a real gray water system and right. there's people that live with the gray water system that tell their friends. And it's also just a nice community building activity when people create something together. Yeah. So I really like that. Uh, model of workshop though. We do all sorts of other ones too, but that's yeah. my my favorite kind of workshop. Wow. Cool. Congratulations So what drives you? You know water is one of those things that it's such an important it's an important issue it connects across the globe it, it connects from human needs to nature's needs to animals mm -hmm. needs like it really just connects everything mm -hmm. And there are these huge water problems that we know about that have to be solved politically. But then we also have water flowing through our homes every single day that by default is just dumped to the sewer or septic and pretty much wasted and or becomes a problem and, or a cost to, to clean it up. Mm -hmm. And we can intervene in that. It's something that every person can do. It may be a small step. It may be a whole transformation of a home. But we can intervene in how water is used in our own homes. And that's really empowering. And it also shows that we can do things differently. We don't have to be hurting the environment to have our human needs met. Yeah. We can live really well with a lot less and we can, with simple things, just reuse what we already have before we go for new dams or more groundwater pumping or more diversions or desalinization, all these other much more impactful on the environment and costly um, ways to get water. Yeah. So it, re it really drives us to think I'm going to use this word better about where we live and what we do, because if you're thinking about, first of all, what's going down the drain, uh, and secondly, how can you conserve, you know, the water that you are using that, I think that makes us wiser water users, does it not? Definitely. And then it also has us look at our landscapes and think about, well, what are we, what, what are we, what's growing here? Is mm -hmm. it how hard is it to grow? Who's it benefiting? And when you have gray water, it kind of limits you on what you can do. You can't put it in your sprinkler, so you're not going to just right. have a big lawn or whatever plants you want and sprinkle everything. It's going to be a more thoughtful landscape design, and that's going to improve your 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 home. Um, it also, you might get some benefit of it, like food or creating habitat or things that are going to help more people. Yeah. And, yeah, we actually didn't talk about that earlier, and so I, I just want to touch on it. You you mentioned it. We don't want to put this in our sprinkler systems. Can you exactly. Speak, can you speak to that? Yeah, so gray water is non-potable water. You don't want people to come in contact with it. So with our gray water systems, we want to design them so the water is soaking into the ground, into the roots, 
Some states require a two-inch cover. Um, some states allow surface irrigation. So to comply with regulations, you may, you may be right on top of the ground or, or right below it. But you're always going to be having the water flow downwards. You're mm -hmm. not going to be spraying it through the air where someone, a child could run through the sprinkler. You could right. be breathing it in. It's not allowed to be sprayed. And it's, it's also a very inefficient form of irrigation. So yeah. I'm not a proponent of sprinklers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Plus, anytime, and I get this question a lot because I do teach some classes on gray water and rainwater. Uh, you know, anytime you would try and pressurize it and put it into a sprinkler system, there's gunk in it that would clog the system. Exactly. And then you have to filter it. And then how right. is the filter going to get cleaned? Oh, I have to have an automatic. Yeah. So it just takes you into this whole other type of system, which is much more complex. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go there. Make it easy. I'm, yeah, I am a big <laughs> proponent of, Brad talks about this a lot. I'm a big proponent of planting the water and then plant your landscape. Yep. Yeah. So is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? Yeah, there's there's so many books. And Cadillac Desert is kind of the classic oh, yes. water politics in the West. So I, I I love that book. But I was thinking about, you know, books and what influenced me. And I thought back a little farther to this book I read as a child that I couldn't remember the name of it for many years until I came across it again as an adult. And it's called The Wump World. It's about a planet of these peaceful creatures and everything's green and beautiful and then these aliens come they're called the pollutants and they come and build all their factories and their roads and they pollute the planet so much they have to leave and then the end of the book has a very hopeful ending with a a little plant growing up through the cracks and the creatures uh -huh. the wumps that live there coming back out and you know trying to find nature again and, and it really stuck with me of how we are hurting our earth so much and we don't we don't have to be but nature will heal it yeah what was the name of that book again? The Wump World. Oh. It's a kid's book. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say just to try something new with your water. It can be as simple as like finding out how much water you use. Many people don't have any idea of how many gallons per day. Mm. And just starting with information like this is how much I use and then thinking about how can I reuse it. A simple bucket is something anyone can do, just putting it under your faucet of your shower while mm -hmm. the water's heating up and just trying to find some way to engage positively in the water system. Yeah. And, you know, gray water system is great. Reusing it, collecting rainwater, all these things, but it doesn't have to be that much to start with. Just a, a simple bucket is a great first yeah. step. Yeah, collect it in the shower and take it out. I One of the things that I regularly do is when I'm getting ready to cook pasta, we always like to start with hot water. So I'll run off you know, maybe a gallon so it, until it gets hot. And then I take that gallon and I put it on my avocado tree out in the front yard. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Laura. It's been a treat chatting with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. How can our listeners get a hold of you? So they can go to graywateraction.org. Mm -hmm. Graywater, we spell it with an E, G-R-E-Y, graywateraction.org. And there's a contact form if anyone has a technical question, we have a forum. So we like to answer questions on the forum. That way people, other people can see the, the responses and the questions and mm -hmm. just spread, spread the info a little more. So just go to graywateraction.org. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org slash graywateraction. That's G-R-E-Y, graywateraction. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. 
Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves. Our sponsor this month is Seven Springs Farm Supply. They have been serving farmers and gardeners since 1990 and offer a comprehensive selection of soil amendments, growing mixes, pest and disease controls, and cover crop seeds for the organic grower. Regardless of your farm size, the crops that you grow or where you farm, Seven Springs is a resource that you can trust to provide you with sound advice, the supplies you need, and quick and friendly service. Check out sevenspringsfarmsupply.com or give them a call at 800-540-9181 to learn more about the services they offer, including soil test reviews, custom fertilizer blending, and cooperative purchases. And hey, they're based in Virginia, ship nationwide, and they actually answer the phone. Give them a call. Urban Farm Podcast listeners get a 7% discount online with code URBAN7. To find more, go to sevenspringsfarmsupply.com or call them at 800-540-9181.